Thank you for coming on today's series of NED experiences. We have near-death experiences of people who have gone to heaven and come back, as you know, very interesting. So our first one is from a man when he was a little boy. He, uh, he died and was shown the future of USA democracy, Ken Leitz. Any NDD, NDE, Sherman Oaks, near death experience, or Sherman Oaks. The guy's name. In today's video, I want to explore Ken Let's near death experience that he had when he was eight years old. During his NDE, he said he was shown the future that included everything from JFK's assassination, Trump being elected, devastating natural disasters, and even an upcoming civil war. Remember, as you're watching this, that this was originally uploaded October 18, 2020 almost three months before the January 6th attack at the Capitol. Let's get started. After I went through my um, life review, an entity that I called Mother took me to other places when I was up in heaven. It looked like a huge room, but there was like a, a large globe of the earth. It was like a model sitting up on a pedestal. And it was like a machine and it was very intricate. And there were a couple smaller entities standing around it like they maintained it and I was introduced to one of them. She was like a teacher. So I call her the teacher entity, and then I was brought there by another entity that I call mother. So mother pretty much handed me off to the teacher entity, and she was explaining this globe. And that's when they told me that the globe pretty much acts like a time capsule, where every event on Earth is recorded and kept. So I was shown a little bit of the past because I was curious about it. and. This is hard to explain. I felt like I was a bird flying through the air, hovering over an ancient city, and I saw a city that looks like someplace like Rome. So I told the teacher entity, I can't really relate to this. I, I'm sorry. I've read about this in the history books, but this doesn't interest me. What else can you show me in this globe? Then I got to thinking, well, I'd like to see where I fit in. Where do I fit into the big picture? So the um, teacher entity said, well, I, here's, here's where you were born. And she just pointed down onto the earth and it looked like the a geographical area where I was born. And um, all of a sudden a vision opened up. And again, it was like I was flying around like a bird viewing stuff going on down on the planet. And then all of a sudden I was down on the ground and I saw a line of cars driving very fast through a city. People were cheering and waving and happy. And then suddenly something happened and it was bad and I knew it. I didn't see the specific gunshots. I didn't, I didn't see President Kennedy getting shot actually, but I knew he was hurt. And I saw the cars suddenly zoom off very fast and there was a lot of turmoil and then people were crying and I knew that he was hurt. That's when they explained to me that JFK died I asked, why would God let this happen? If he knows it's going to happen in advance, why doesn't he stop it? And I was pretty much told that it was going to happen because humanity makes choices sometimes that are wrong and they can't interfere. I guess that's a confirmation of um, we have free will. I was told that the next visions after that would happen later in my life. And it started with a picture of a government building and it looks like the Supreme Court. The ruling they passed uh, making it okay for same-sex marriage. I believe, and that would have happened around 2015, I believe that's what they were talking about. 
I wasn't told that specifically. I was told toward the end of your life, there will be a ruling here, and they showed me the building that is significant, and it will be the beginning of great turmoil in your country. Maybe, and uh, I believe it was the same-sex marriage thing. Could be Roe versus Wade. And who was overturned. the most angry about it? Evangelicals. And I saw Hillary. I'm positive it was Hillary because I heard her voice speaking to people, and she was campaigning for president. I was also told that she would be there with another person that was like a president. So I'm pretty sure that was Bill. So I turned to the teacher, Entity, and I said something like, well, she seems all right. I'm surprised a woman is running for president, but she seems all right. And I was told, yes, but she may not be allowed to be the president. And I was surprised, and I asked why. I was told, because there's laws that are probably going to interfere. And that was it with Hillary. So I saw a brief vision that looked like... It looked like the Senate, but I'm not positive. It looked like Congress anyway. There was some hearings going on there and it was very intense. Next, I was shown a very angry, mean-spirited president. And I saw that he had blonde <laughs> hair. I can't tell you that I saw his face oh or that I remember God. it. I do remember the blonde hair. And I remember the man being very angry and shouting at people. And then I saw demonstrations in the street. Then I saw Trump or this angry president in the Oval Office, nervous, walking around his desk, walking out into the hall, expecting a visitor, walking back, standing behind his desk, very nervous. Then the next vision, there was a skip, and then the next vision I saw was Trump on the front steps of a building in Washington, D.C., and he was very angry, and he was uh, shaking his fist and he was getting a crowd excited, and he was asking them to fight. So I asked the teacher entity, how did this man become our president? And why is he so angry? Then they showed me a vision of the Bible. It's like the pages were flipping, and then I saw like a line, like a flowchart, going down through the pages. And then sometimes it would stop and divide, and then more lines would be created. And I understood this to be the path that humanity would take. I saw the line jump out of the Bible and highlight churches developing in old Europe. And then once those churches were developed, I saw them, uh, their morals, their uh, protocols, the things they established, their beliefs, came over to America with the migration of people. Then I saw the line of progression come out of the Bible again, and it shot out of the Bible and it landed in the American Southeast the deep south of America. Then I saw churches growing and developing there. Big churches, fabulous churches, complexes. I guess you could say schools too, because there was teaching going on. Like Large Davis buildings, Place, lots of people participating. And I was told that these new churches would be very evil and that they would have a lot to do with the election of this angry president. To be more specific, they were telling people who to vote for in the name of God. And I knew that to be a horrible sin. So I was warned to stay away from those churches, to not, to not pay any attention to them and stay away. Mm -hmm. So I have. And, and intermingled with all these visions, I saw people demonstrating and marching and, and doing things in the streets. I did see 
African-Americans demonstrating in the streets, and I didn't understand why they were so upset. That's when the Civil War was mentioned, and I said something about, well, they were supposed to be free. The Civil, the civil War I learned about in school, they were supposed to be free, and I was told, but they're not, and that's why they're demonstrating. At the time that I brought up that I knew about the first Civil War, they told me another Civil War is coming and it's going to be much worse than the first. So let's put it this way to the African American, the black people that are watching this, God knows what you're going through. Yes. Okay. You're not alone. Next, I saw intermingled with demonstrations in the street. I saw people that I describe as, um, they're black entities, but they're not the race. They're not the people. They're people with dark hearts, empty hearts. They were like black spirits. And they came across to me as not being American, not being true Americans. Mm -hmm. They're not believing like good Americans. They were there to cause trouble within the demonstrations. They were encouraging people to get angry and to fight. And they were trying to get the crowds riled up. Um, so I've, I've said in the past, and I say it again, do not listen to them. If they are there to get you angry and frustrated, avoid them. Anger is a choice. You don't have to be angry if you don't want to. You can open up your heart instead. And then the next major vision I saw was a group of angry entities circling a building in a major city trying to get inside. And they were acting covert, undercover. They get inside, they go inside, and they go up a few floors, and then there's an explosion. And I asked, what's the significance of this building? What is, what is going on here? Why did they blow it up? I was told that it was a center of communication, a place that people relied on for information. And I got the strong impression that it could be tied to the internet, but I got the strong impression that it was a TV studio. I can't say CNN. But the way things look, I don't know. It could be CNN. They have a tower, and it's in a major city in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So I hope it isn't true. I hope it doesn't happen. So I hope they take care. I hope they protect themselves. Um, after that, that's about when I saw an army building and growing in the West. And I don't know who they are who they represent. I wasn't told, but I saw them fighting and pushing from the west toward the east. I saw the army moving and it looked like the, the Mississippi River was important. So it was like a dividing line and it is a natural dividing line geographically. So then I thought, I saw fighting just go totally out of control. I saw fighting everywhere. And it was pretty, it was severe enough that I turned away. I just couldn't stand to watch it. Eventually, the army from the West will win, and the fighting will eventually end. Uh, the army uncovers things. There's like another building or a group of people or something way down deep in the South. And if I was to guess where it was geographically, I'm saying, I'm thinking Louisiana, Arkansas, down in there. I saw like, a, it was like another large building, and it was like a government building because it was fortified. And I saw people fighting and demonstrating around that, and eventually they're over, the building is overcome. But what's uncovered inside that building is tremendously evil. 
it looked like a ghost of some kind rising up out of this building because it was finally destroyed. The best word I can come up with is a demon, an agent of Satan. And it was there to promote anger and fighting and misinformation. And it was very powerful. And when it was finally destroyed, as it rose up out of that building and flew away, it was laughing. It was delighted. It's like when the army from the West finally gets inside that building and puts an end to what they're doing. Um, it's going to be a relief. It's going to be a great relief. And then all kinds of evil will be uncovered. And then people will finally realize they were fighting for the wrong reasons. They were lied to. A lot of people are believing a lot of wrong things, and that's what's going to elevate the fighting and the aggravation. There was a time when the teacher entity stopped the flow of events, like three different times. And she asked me, well, she showed me what I would look like as an adult while this was going on. And I have to tell you, I look like that guy right now. I, I believe I'm in the house where I'm going to pass away. I saw myself in a base in a basement of sorts, and there were other people with me, and I looked very skinny, and that's not me right now. Um, but we were looking outside like things are really terrible outside, and we were hiding. And then I saw myself like in a very big tent with a lot of sick people, and that's where I passed away. I don't think I'll see the end of the war. Okay? And I'm 65, I'm fairly healthy. I could live to be 80, who knows? So if that helps anybody as far as your need to know, the timeline, that's the best I can tell you. But again, some aggravation and strife and fighting begins again. And then I saw this huge, tremendous explosion and it looked like an atomic bomb because of the mushroom cloud. It looked like it was around the corner of Wyoming, perhaps in Montana, so I'm thinking Yellowstone is about where I saw the explosion take place. At the base, I saw a ring of white, just like a pebble dropping in the water, where it creates a wave that comes out from the drop. That's what it looked like, and it was a ring of white, and it expanded across the entire continent. I believe there could be in the middle of all this a natural disaster like a serious earthquake, because I saw flooding. It looked like it's between Iowa and Nebraska, which be like around the Omaha area, maybe a little bit further north. I saw a lot of people drowning all at once, just completely overwhelmed with water. And the only way I can think that would happen would be like a flood caused by an earthquake. I saw people being swarmed by water and leaping and jumping out of their bodies, just terrified and not understanding why this is happening to them. And there's nothing they can do. They all die at once. So that's not a very happy vision. Then what I saw was absolute peace and quiet and no movement whatsoever. And then I saw trees growing and getting thick again. And I saw the, the planet um, or the continent, I should say, starting to become green again and beautiful. Then I was shown people living and it looked like they were very far in the Southeast, maybe along the coast. Uh, perhaps Georgia, maybe the Carolinas. 
they looked like natives. They were very peaceful and loving, happy people. And I could feel the happiness coming from them. And that's when the teacher entity turned to me and said, so you see, Ken, there, there is gonna be a cycle happening here. When the, all the fighting and the anger and the destruction is over and everything starts to grow again, people will be living more in the, with God's purpose. Mm. They will be happier. They will be more spiritual and things will be set right. Mm. It was described to me, it felt like a cleansing is what it felt like. So it's like humanity, to, the way it feels to me is humanity, we're right on the cusp of expanding spiritually to the next level. That old standard of competition, competition between churches, yes. between governments, right. between races of people, right. and then using those justifications to fight wars or to compete economically and to cause other groups of people hardship. I look at it like those times are ending. Yes. Humanity has been in this cycle for a long, long time. We can, we can go in the history books and we can tell you, <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can understand. That's always been the model. We fear people who aren't like us. We end up fighting. People die endlessly, or needlessly, I should say. And then we're prosperous, they're not. Oh, so bad, so sad. Those times are coming to an end. That's what it feels like to me. I believe those people that I was shown, they also will have um, enhanced uh, power and skill. We're, we were building God's image. Jesus came here. He was human, but he was also a God. He could do miracles. I believe the next step is we will be able to do miracles too through the power of God, through the Creator. That's what I believe. If we choose peace and happiness instead of anger and frustration yes. and destruction, yes. we're going to be a lot better off. Yes. And who knows, maybe we can avoid the war. Yes, amen. Um, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes. If you'd like to hear more about his near-death experience, what he experienced before he had his visions, you can click on this video right here. If you want to see this original video unedited, you can click right here. And uh, yeah, if this is your first time and you want to subscribe, you can click on my face right there. All right. Thank you very much for listening in. Yes. It's really interesting to see that. Uh, he was eight years old, mind you, when he had all those visions. And and he was very patient and had all the time in the world to ask questions to the about the situation that he was going through. But um, what stands out for you, Anna? Well, one thing is... Um I, I, you know, when your spirit discerns, when you're listening to something, that's very important. Um, and I, I felt like, like I was, I, I believe it because when you, let's say we have a dream sometimes and that dream can be so vivid. I mean, he saw so much, but it was so precise and it was so, um, the way he explained it was, you know, I mean, at eight years old, that had to have a pretty profound effect on on him, you know, from eight to the the age he is now. I think he said he was sixty five, right? So I, I just 
I just found him to to be credible for one uh, my spirit was uh, in agreement um, with you know the events that were happening um, and it, it's kind of interesting that when he was eight if we take 65 minus eight I don't know what year that took place but here we are in 2022 and this was recorded in what 2020 okay so some of these events have taken place um, you know the Black Lives Matter protest um, the insurrection on that took place right after the election uh, the fact that he saw um, Donald Trump in front of, of that building angry saying let's fight all of these things came to pass now if this happened to him at eight years old you know the John Kennedy thing was vivid too he didn't really see him but he knew he was hurt right and so I mean at eight years old you're you know flying around and being taken around and being shown these events that are taking place and he's got a very um, descriptive memory of all these accounts and it's just I mean I think for all the ones that you and I have seen together it's probably the most I mean uh, it really is kind of I don't want to say shocking but it it's kind of like I, I stood up and wanted to listen to what he saw you know and um, about the, the, the fighting going on you know, and the Supreme Court decision about the same-sex um, marriages and things like that, all of this stuff that's taking place, it just, to me, was like, you know, only God can show you something like, like these events, you know, at that age. You know, for some reason he was, you know, selected to, to see this. Um, it's, it's very interesting. I One of the things towards the end that I, I was like, wow, you know, what he said is that people are angry and that's, and that's the current state of this country right now. There's a lot of anger going on and a lot of fighting, um, fighting with the government that, you know, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, uh, churches coming against each other, people coming against each other, uh, all this stuff taking place. And it's like an angry spirit that's overtaking this country is what I, I, you know, because he said that one spirit that got released, he was laughing, right? But it was he was meant to come in and, and bring that strife and that anger. So um, one of the things that he says, it, it kind of like at the end, like we do get through it, but that it's because people are being lied to, okay? And I think that's a really important point that we have choices to make uh, when we hear communication and we, we gotta learn to discern, you know, the truth of the matter, you know, not just read what's on, coming through on Facebook and people are resending it out and, you know, spreading this kind of misinformation and it's not been validated for one. So we, I think the best thing for we, that, that we can take away is learn to discern the information and just, you know, um, just do that, you know, and keep, you know, I like the way they said, stay away, he, he was told, stay away from those churches who are trying to push a, a, a political agenda, right? Uh, the church is here to bring forth the gospel um, and help people get saved, not to 
be angry at the pulpit and and push a political agenda you know whether um, you know we have government leaders maybe they're not making the right decisions you know maybe you know there's a lot there it's a whole other thing to unpack but you know the main thing is we don't get caught up in that political spirit and we don't get caught up in the religious spirit we kind of have to stay even keeled and make sure we're we're not getting consumed by that that you know that's a real the biggest takeaway is don't get consumed by all this. You see a lot of people arguing and families dividing and all that kind of stuff. You know, we gotta we gotta stay away from that. That's what I, I took away. What about you? Wow, I didn't get I just saw the flooding and they talk about yeah. uh, the the explosion being uh, the the Yellowstone National Park, the uh, volcano exploding. You know, and then causing a, a, such an earthquake that the, the ocean water comes in. I was trying to yeah. figure out where the water was going to come in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it sounds like the plates fell down and the ocean just came, you know, and very easily covered it. Here's uh, one more, and this one is... Uh, and one thing I want to say is that, remember, it, it almost was... He's like a modern day, a little bit of a Nostradamus kind of person. You know, remember Nostradamus had a lot of prophetic visions also. Yeah, they're very, very vague though. Yeah. His, his. I'm, just, I'm just saying that's what it reminded me of. Okay, here I we go know. one more time. This is visions of the future or conversations with God. Let's try conversations with God. International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today we are continuing the amazingly detailed story of Kenneth Lutz, NDE, and what he learned from it. If you are listening to this without benefit of part one, I'd suggest you don't miss listening to last week's show with Ken. Ken, welcome to NDE Radio. Oh, well, thank you much, and good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. Um, when we left off um, uh, last Monday, we were talking about how you had received almost, I would call it, a warning that um, either the Bible has been misinterpreted or may actually be um, flawed in some ways. And I thought maybe we'd go back and talk about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, do, do you, do, how, do you, how do you feel that message was intended? Do you feel that it's, uh, you know, there's this old phrase, the devil can uh, cite scripture to his purposes, but there's also, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there who believe that the Bible is uh, totally correct in all of its uh, writings. How did you, what, how, what was the message that you got? Um, I got the message that um, for the most part the Bible is a good thing and uh, that it, it does good for a lot of people, but just not to put too much into it. And, um, it shouldn't be the only thing that we have that is uh, towards God. There's a lot of other things um, 
And for me, I guess that personal connection uh, that when I meditate and I um, think openly, I guess you could say through my mind's eye, but, um, and with my faith, you know, that God, I know you're listening, I know you're there. Um, those kinds of things give me confirmation way beyond what the Bible could do. There, there's some there's some phrases in the Bible that are just beautiful and wonderful, and it, it's it's a great indication of how um, talented and, and uh, intelligent humanity really can be. But I don't know. It, it it wasn't necessarily a warning that I received, and it wasn't for mankind. I think it was m more or less meant for me to understand that um, there was a lot more to faith and, and understanding God and the way the universe works and whatnot goes way beyond uh, what the Bible is stating. And, um, you know, there, there's times when I hear people, I've, I've heard like um, other radio shows, for example, uh, like a Bible show where there's some very intense person talking about, um, uh, oh, the, a particular phrase in the Bible and then people are calling in and discussing it and it just seems to be so intense and we have to interpret this. That's where all the troubles seems to come in. Um, just putting too much weight on it. I can I can hear phrases or I can um, I can hear something spoken that or repeated that uh, perhaps Jesus said. And I don't know, and to me it's like in some ways I can understand maybe a little bit better what he was saying that other people seem to get. I don't know. <laughs> well I know you you wrote um God is love, we are all his children, no faith, religion, government, or organization we create on earth has the right to claim their influence and power comes from him. And I think maybe, right. just personally, I think uh, uh, it's not that religion has, has corrupted us, but that um, the misuse of religion by governments and other organizations is, is the problem. Anyway, uh, absolutely. Go, yeah. Uh, um, to move on at this point, um, we came to a, you came to a very interesting point, and um, where you say you saw a large model of the Earth that seemed to be up on a pedestal like it was a machine. Maybe you could tell us about that. This is probably the oddest part, but um, with meditation and just um, really giving yourself some space, I, I think I've come to realize what what it all uh, meant. Um, after I had been shown um, my various levels or um, generations of family back in that tunnel and by the entity that I, I refer to as Mother, uh, Mother took me to other places. She didn't take me directly back to my family. Um, she took me other places and showed me other things. And so one of the places that she took me um, was to a, a place where um, it appeared to be a model of the Earth and it was up on a pedestal. It was very intricate. Uh, seems to me there were like lights and things uh, coming off of the surface. Um, perhaps I saw some circular streaks of light going around it, circulating it. Um, and I know that when I got closer to it, I was extremely interested in it because I. I've always been the type of kid that uh, machinery is something that I've always really enjoyed. I seem to have a knack with machinery, so I was very interested in it. 
So Mother took me there, but there was another entity taking care of this, this globe. And this other entity was more like a teacher. And uh, she was a little more, she wasn't so much loving, she was just full of information. And I believe this other entity was female as well. And I, I think I remember Mother walking away uh, for a moment or just standing back and letting me talk and, and communicate with this other entity. So this other person that was maintaining this, this earth was explaining to me that all things on earth can be observed on this model. And I was looking at it closely and I, I asked, well, where am I at? Where do I fit in all this? And uh, she pointed uh, down to the earth, onto the surface, and it was like she was saying, there, this is your time. This is where you belong. This is where you came from. And I remember her pointing to the United States. And then as she, she pointed to it, it was like all of a sudden my vision opened up and I could see events taking place down on Earth. And um, I saw something that I thought was disturbing. I didn't like it one bit because um, up until that time in my life, um, I was completely surrounded by love, acceptance, happiness. Everything was just great in my life. And I was sort of in a bubble. I guess you could say, with all that, that's the way child children are. I mean, I was I was protected and I was loved by my family. But yet, when I'm seeing this vision, I'm seeing things. There's some things going on here that aren't quite so nice, and I got concerned and I asked, well, if these things are going to be happening, why isn't God stopping it? Why is why is God allowing these things to take place? And uh, the answer I got back to the teacher and it was a little bit stark. It was like, you're not to be concerned about these things. These things are going to take place. Um, whether you're involved or not, this is your time, but uh, these are not things that you need to concern yourself with. These things are going to happen. Um, I believe what I saw, the very first thing that upset me was uh, the assassination of uh, JFK. Because when I was in the hospital and I was going through all of this. He was still alive. Um, his assassination didn't take place until I had been recovering in the hospital for several weeks. So um, I believe that's what I saw. And then I was told that this was going to trigger like a period of turmoil or a period of, of un unsettlement um, in history. This is, this is going to be the beginning of it. And I was, I was a little bit upset, and I think then Mother got involved again. And um, there was some discussion over whether or not this was good for me. And I think the decision was made that at that time, uh, my age, it was decided that um, they were going to protect me. And so I, I distinctly remember, I didn't write this, so this was all total new for you. I'm terribly sorry, but... No, no, that's I, fine. I, I remember just being told, just this spell, um, and that sort of reached into my memory, um, into my consciousness, into my mind, and they smoothed all that out so that it wouldn't be of a major concern of mine, that my memory wouldn't be real precise. But at the same time, I was told that as I got older, many of these things will come back to you, and sure enough, it has. Mm. 
So I'm almost positive that very first image I saw that didn't look so good got me upset was I, I saw the assassination of JFK. I saw the, the cars and the upset people crying and all the all that went on with it. And actually when I got back home after the first operation, it took two operations to correct my appendix. But when I got home after the first operation, it was the very same day that JFK was buried. So I, I watched all that on black and white TV. It was just very sad. And some of these premonitions have continued with you, haven't they? Because you, you mentioned that you, you dreamt about the Twin Towers. Yeah, um, later in my life, I've, I've had dreams, powerful dreams, visions, I guess you could say, um, right before something major has happened in history. And, and I believe the Twin Towers is one of them. Um, it was a very startling dream. Um, so before before it actually happened, I didn't understand what it all meant, though. And that, that's basically what, the way it goes. I don't understand these dreams um, until something happens, and it's like, oh, okay, I saw this. But in, in the Twin Towers in particular, um, it was, gosh, it seems a couple of months, maybe just a month before it actually happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw a vision of a very large city with very tall buildings. And I recall seeing buildings that appeared to be damaged, like they were smoking. And at least there was at least two buildings that I saw were damaged. But then my vision moved me way, way out to an open field. Um, and then my dream ended when an airplane fell out of the sky and crashed onto the ground. It was a very loud explosion. And that woke me up. My, my heart was racing, you know, I was sweating. I, I woke up frightened, had no idea what it meant. And then 9-11 uh, took place just a few months later, and the plane in the field, I believe, was the plane that crashed out in the open. I forget. You, you mentioned Pennsylvania. I forget what state was in. But I've forgotten the town, but it, yeah, it was um, intended probably for uh, a building in Washington, but... Uh, the right. passengers on board revolted and they drove it into the ground. And, that, and then you said that you've also had a, a vision of the uh, that destructive tidal wave that, wave, that tsunami of 2004. Right, the tsunami of 2004, that was another very powerful dream. Um, I, I dreamt that I was floating above an ocean. I didn't know exactly where. I knew it was Earth, but I was floating above an ocean. Um, beautiful moonlit ocean and um, suddenly I saw like a bright star uh, shining down on the ocean or deep down beneath underneath the ocean and it caught my attention so I sort of floated I floated over in that direction and was way up in the sky looking at it and then all of a sudden thousands thousands of um, tiny stars uh, jumped off the surface, off the ground of the earth, and went sailing past me, and they all kind of wailed a little bit. Um, you could almost describe it as a, not too loud of a firecracker, you know how they wee, you know, kind of whistle. That's how they went. They went floating past me, and some of them went through me, and on beyond and up, and I knew that they were going up to heaven. And, um, 
I looked down in the earth and I recognized that um, it was a part of the earth that was um, close to like India, somewhere around in there. Um, Indonesia, around in there. And then just yes. just within a week or so after that, um, then the earthquake took place. Yes. And you mentioned the, the uh, Hurricane Katrina and the subway train explosion in Spain. These are all major events. And, in our recent history. Uh, right. Um, by the time I had the dream about Katrina, um, terrorism had been become very much a part of our lives. And we were, you know, in the media, we were hearing a lot more about it. Well, about, I guess it would have been about a month or so before um, Katrina happened. And, and it must have been before the train explosion as well. First, first I saw the train explosion. Um, and I didn't know where it was, um, but I saw a train explode and there were many people on board and many people were injured. Um, but then I saw a great wall of water come and wash over um, the land. And it was a tremendously powerful wall of water. That, and I knew that it was coming over a city um, and that it, it was it would be somewhat anticipated, but, you know, I guess it was just a warning to me that it was going to take place. And then I had no idea where, and then sure enough, Katrina happened a short time later. Hmm. And it was a wall of water, and it was very powerful. Yes. In fact, they made a, a near-death experience movie based on that. Uh, can't think of the title right off the top of my head. Um I've got to ask this question because I'm sure it's in everyone's mind. Have you had any premonitions that have not yet happened? Um, no. It seems like it seems like everything that I, I dream seems to be associated with something that kind of makes mankind just sort of sit back and catch the breath. Mm. Those are the kinds of things I dream about, and I haven't really seen anything like that recently. Although. Like about a week ago, I had a dream that it was in regards to myself. I had a dream that I'm, I was sitting in front of some people who, um, they were like cyclopses, which is really odd. They only had one eye. I think what it, what it meant was they had singular, singular vision. Um, I recognized them as experts and I asked them, um, will I have to live another life on earth or is this it for me? Can I finally go back? And I was I was told I would not have to come back to Earth. So I was very happy about the knowledge. I woke up feeling very good. I mean, I, I love Earth. I love living. I love <laughs> I love my family. I love my friends. I love everyone. But once you've been in heaven, um, and especially I guess mine was a pretty strong um, experience. Once you've been up there, you know what that absolute love feels like. Oh gosh, Earth can be really hard to deal with. <laughs> I know it, it, it makes you wonder why people would want to reincarnate at all, given the descriptions that we get from near-death experiences. That and what amazes me is how people grab onto, hold onto, in desperation, everything about Earth, everything about their lives. They're just so desperate; they don't want to let go. Like this, like Earth is everything, life is everything. No, it's not. 
it goes beyond, but it, it may be all they know. But to be afraid of letting it go is silly. It's, it's kind of out of our hands. You know, I've almost come to the conclusion that life here on Earth is actually somewhat of an illusion. In, in ways, it's just not real. It doesn't feel, to me, it doesn't feel as real as, as uh, what I felt up in heaven. Yeah. The uh, the matrix, <laughs> the the Buddhist concept of uh, illusion that we live in here. Um, now, when you um, w when mother returned you to um, your family again, they showed you some chairs, uh, yeah. and I thought that was interesting because that's a very earth based concept uh, where a family is sitting together. But then there's also this. Uh, uh, religious notion that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and uh, the sitting position is, I thought that was interesting that there was a chair waiting for you. Right, there was. Uh, you got to keep in mind that eight years of age, I had no concept, uh, no idea of what a near-death experience was. So I don't want anyone thinking that um, this is just something that I must have learned about and so therefore it became part of my my experience, so it, it was not, it was totally new to me. Um, but yeah, um, when, when I was done with the globe and uh, Mother had finished, you know, protecting me and, and uh, erasing some of my memories of the future. Um, oh, maybe before we go to the chairs, though, should I tell you that um, with my meditation of late, I believe I'm remembering some of the things I follow. That, I believe Mother protects Oh, me. absolutely. Sure. There are going to be those that are going to wonder. Um, actually, I do believe um, I did see uh, something that I think could be interpreted as the end of the world. Uh, it's probably it's probably in the future. I don't. I'm not so sure that um, what I saw is something that I'm I'm supposed to witness. I know there were things I was told I was going to witness, but this this part. I mean, it was just so horrible I had to turn away. Uh, I saw wars, I saw strife, I saw fighting, I saw things coming and going um, in relation to the United States. Um, but the biggest thing I saw was was the world engulfed, and I believe it was like a plane. And it would have been like the end. I did not get the impression that mankind caused it. But I got the impression that it was a very natural thing that is expected to happen. Mm. And then when the, uh, the burning quit, the vision of the world burning quit, I was shown that um, then everything will make sense. Then the world will finally be at peace. And it was almost as if a, a very old wrong or mistake um, about the earth was finally going to be corrected and put right. And there would be much love, there would be much peace and happiness, and everything will be okay. So I guess it's pretty easy for me to assume that humanity is going to continue beyond that, that point. But is it something, was this something that was anticipated to be in your lifetime? I can't say that. I'm not ready to say that. Um, but I, I think they were answering my concerns that, um, why all this disruption? And I think I was shown all that because they wanted me to know that when it's all over, 
you'll see that everything is okay. We have to put up with all this at first, but then when it's all over, it's going to be okay. That's that's pretty much what I was told. That it's going to be very happy and beautiful when it's all said and done. And it, it's like God is aware that all this is going to happen in advance. Um, it it's already already written, in other words. It's already written, already seen it. Um, I did not get any indication that mankind can choose different paths. I did not get that at all. Um, I've heard some people who have come back with that message that we can choose certain things. I, I, I believe that um, what they saw is true. They probably did think that mankind can take different directions. I was just eight years old. I didn't understand a lot of it. And I just hate to put too much into it. You know, that's all. Because you can't call me a reliable source when it comes to predicting the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to jump onto another very interesting thing. And that was um, when you witnessed your own birth and when you oh, uh, yeah. perhaps played with the spirit of uh, a, 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 a girl child that, that um, apparently died in utero or was was miscarriage miscarriage yeah I, I all my up until see my mother died um the oh, 2012 she died in 2012 three years ago um i spent a lot of time in the nursing home with her uh, as she was slowly fading away and um gosh you know she's the one that uh gave me a religious background um insisted that I go to church and Sunday school and all those things. And yet here, with all of her faith and belief, here she was on her deathbed and she was starting to have doubts. And she started asking me to grant her forgiveness for all the wrongs that she had done to me in my life. And it kind of baffled me. I love my mother. I always loved my mother. And none of us are perfect. Um, so it just kind of surprised me that, you know, she started demonstrating a little bit of weakness, but then she started talking about this baby that she lost. I'd never heard of it before. Now, I'm not positive that she didn't mention it to maybe my brother or sister, but we just never talked about it. I'm pretty sure my dad knew about it. But uh, she told me that she had lost uh, a baby uh, before my brother was born. Um, and she just didn't, she didn't know what to do about it. It was such an early, it was so early. She just felt sick, she said, and she went home. Dad stayed out with his friends, and, oh, mother, forgive me for telling people this, but uh, she flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> um, she felt really bad about it. And, um, and then it was suddenly, when she told me all this, that I had, she thought it was a girl. She said she thought it was a girl. And then I remember uh, I saw my birth when I went through my knee death. Um, when I saw my birth, um, my mother was on the table. Uh, the doctor was very excited. He was uh, working on her feverishly. He uh, pulled me out of her with a large set of tongs. Uh, he was very rough. Mm. He was concerned because I wouldn't breathe. Mm. And on her deathbed, Mom also started talking about how my my birth was was not uh, a very good thing. Um, I was born in '55. They didn't have a, a brick hospital yet. It was just a house. 
was upstairs. And um, mom told me how they use laughing gas as, as a way to help women with the birth pain. The doctor was a hunter, um, an avid hunter. So was my father. Uh, dad was there hanging around, I guess, outside the, the room. Doctor decided he wanted to take a break, smoke a cigarette, and talk about hunting with my dad. So he put the gas mask with the uh, laughing gas next to my mother, left it turned on, and told her, now this is pretty strong, you just turn your head into it and take a breath every so often if you need it, I'm going to be gone for a while, and when I come back, we'll finish this up. So apparently she said what happened was she got a whiff and it knocked her out, and then the mask ended up stuck on her face, and uh, she was, she uh, passed out from an overdose of uh, laughing gas, and it was a strong very strong dose. Now, at the, some point, you left your body and became, yeah. you said, a, a ball of glowing energy. When uh, I went through my near death up in heaven at age eight, I recall leaving my body while I was in birth. And I recalled the feeling, I, I recalled everything. I recalled uh, the natural birth process falling, that my mother's body wasn't pushing me out anymore. And I was just stuck and I was squeezed and I felt like I was dying. And I backed up. They felt like I was backing up, but I, I left my body is what I did. And um, I started floating around and I saw all kinds of colors. And then I saw another entity and it, it, I had the impression that it was a little girl. And she wanted to play and we flew around. And she was, she's quite fast. Uh, I kind of held back. <laughs> I didn't know where I was or what I was doing. I was just a baby, but I was flying around with her and she wanted to keep flying. And then a person came to us and uh, called us over to him. It was a man. And the man pretty much explained that I needed to go back and the girl needed to stay there and let me be. So I had to go back to my body and then I, I was born. And I saw the whole thing. Um, and it, it, I don't know, this part is a little bit baffling to me, is how could I, as an infant, witness my own birth, and how could I remember a near-death experience at that time? Well, it was simple. When I was eight, I had a near-death experience, and I was shown my birth, and I was allowed to experience it again. So, I saw it a second time. And you were able to meet your sister, who never uh, had a chance to live in this world, but is living in the next. I think that's an, ama an amazing part of your story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was allowed to meet her. There was no name. There was no name or nothing. I, I don't even believe I was told she was my sister, but it makes sense because it was a girl, and she yes. loved to play. She didn't want me to leave. Um, so, would you like to go on to the chairs again? Um, when mother brought me back to the family, or? Well, sadly, we are once again out of time. Um, oh, okay. And. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to be able to uh, continue this right away, although I, I wouldn't mind at all getting back to you uh, sometime later, but uh, the next few weeks are scheduled. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely I would encourage you, Ken, to write to write a book about this because it is uh, there's so much information that you have at hand, and uh, I think people would be really, really interested in, in reading about it. Uh, my thanks to Ken Lett for sharing his profoundly fascinating NDE with us.
It's really affected his life. It's given him uh, some abilities of prophecy. And uh, it, it's just a, one of the most interesting stories we've had on NDE Radio. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANDS, please visit that website at iands.org. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. Amen. It was the true power of the Almighty. Michael's experience was one of the most extraordinary that I have ever read. Michael had two NDE on the same day. Thank you for listening to his story. If you haven't already, please hit that like, subscribe, and bell icons so that you can be notified of new content. Thank you again and enjoy today's narration. That's from Heaven Awaits. I spend time with Jesus during my near-death experience. NDE. Heaven Awaits is the YouTube channel. Enjoy. It was Washington's birthday, and I had the day off from school. I could have stayed home, but I chose to go to work with my dad at the gas station that my parents owned. I worked there on weekends and after school helping my dad out. I pumped gas, washed windows, checked oil, and took care of customers, including taking their money and bringing them change. I also cleaned the bathrooms, filled the oil racks with cans of oil, filled the soda machine and collected the money, swept up and did other jobs for my dad, and was paid 50 cents an hour. That was a lot of money in 1966, considering comic books cost 12 cents, matinee movie tickets were $1, and so forth. I could make $4 a day working for my dad on weekends, and $1 plus a day after school. That's $13 to $15 a week. So I decided to go with my dad that day to work. Nearby the gas station were huge limestone boulders, some soaring as high as 30 plus feet. That day was just another freezing cold morning where the ground was covered in ice, which happened a lot in the 60s and 70s. So there wasn't a lot of business that day, and I did all the other jobs dad had for me. Being bored, I asked him if it would be okay if I took off for a while. I went out into those huge boulders, boulders I had climbed many times. To make a long story short, the water freezing, and thus expanding in the cracks of these boulders, had loosened a chunk of rock on this 15 to 20 foot high boulder. The chunk was perched on a ledge but seemed adhered to the side of the greater rock. I had climbed over it many times, but this day it broke loose. The chunk was tear-shaped, narrow, tapered at the top, but thick, wide, and heavy at the bottom, and was about four foot high or so, as I recall. It broke off, I fell backwards off the gigantic boulder, and this stone fell right on top of me. In fact, I rode it to the ground. It probably weighed around 400 to 500 pounds. I don't recall much at that point, except hearing a voice far off in the distance screaming. Oh my god, I'm dead. I was oddly disconnected from it. The next thing I knew I was floating there, hovering in the air and feeling stunned. Not sure where I was, who I was, or even what I was. There was a feeling of amnesia. I tried to orient myself to my surroundings, get my bearings, and that meant carefully observing. Instantly my head was flooded with knowledge. As I stared at the boulder, I knew its chemical composition, could describe every curved cavity and convex structure with mathematical formula that were both known to me and yet unknown. I couldn't believe how clear my thoughts were, that I became aware of a body. 
I used the following words because they express what I felt, but I didn't use these words. In fact, I wasn't thinking with words at all. I became aware of a biological unit that wasn't functioning. I literally viewed it in the way I might view a car that was all crunched up. I swept over this body and could see almost nothing between where the boulder was lying on it and the ground. There was literally less than an inch. The face was contorted and gray with the mouth open and mud and blood smeared from its nose across its forehead. It wasn't moving or breathing and the face looked familiar, but I couldn't place where I'd seen it before. Then it hit me. It was my face. It looked different partly because it was dead and partly because I had always seen my face in a mirror. It looked different when outside of my body. It was then that all my memories flooded back into my head, who I had been, who my family and friends were, what I had done, and what I thought. Then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was dead, and yet here I was still alive and fully conscious. How could that be? In that instance, my atheism was wiped away, and now I didn't know what to expect. I panicked. I was dead. Dad was really going to get pissed at me for killing myself. Then the panic went out of the roof when I realized I was dead. Dad isn't going to get pissed at me. I'm dead. Oh my God, what is going to happen to me? Because I've rejected Jesus, I'm going to hell. Maybe I shouldn't have been so hasty in rejecting religion. Maybe I should have listened more. Then all that panic was pushed out of me and I can only use the analogy of being bone shivering cold and standing in front of a nice warm fire. All that shivering and cold slowly gets pushed out of you and all your muscles relax as the fire's warmth fills you. I felt this fire coming from behind me and I whirled around to see a man with black wavy hair and black beard, all short cropped and dark well tanned skin. His eyes were like diamonds sparkling under light and his robe was like a monk's robe, except it was bright white and glowing. I could see it flowing around him with visible eddies and currents. This being smiled at me and I was instantly filled with love, so much love I felt I would explode from it. I could not contain it. I've never felt so adored. This being communicated directly with me with thoughts, no words were ever used. He told me this was an accident and I could go back if I wanted. I told him by my thoughts there was no way to make that body work. It was squashed flat. He told me that he could make it work again. Did I want to go back? I wanted to know my options. What would happen if I chose to go back and what would happen if I didn't? No sooner did I think these thoughts and then I was hit with a package of images. It showed in brief what would happen if I didn't go back. I saw my sister get into alcohol and drugs and her life spin out of control because I wasn't there. I saw my dad commit suicide because shortly after my death, my mom divorced him. I saw my paternal grandfather wither away and die, his heart broken over my death and my dad's suicide. There were twin blows that destroyed all the joy he had left in life. The effects went on and on. My mom was sad and heartbroken the rest of her life and so very lonely. And I saw a parade of faces of people I would never meet and whose lives I would have impacted and whose lives would have impacted mine. But now I would never know any of them and they would never know me. The man in the white robe had me with my sister. I've always loved my little sister and for her alone. I would have chosen to come back, but seeing all that pain, it would cause everyone else, mom, dad, grandparents, friends, cousins, aunts, and uncles, I had to go back. Then came a second package of images, those of what would happen if I went back. I skipped over the obvious. Dad didn't commit suicide. 
My sister turned out okay. Mom ended up happy. My grandfather went on to beam with pride over his first grandson to attend a university. My grandfather was a legal immigrant from Italy who never made it past the fourth grade, and he treasured education beyond everything. He crowed like a proud rooster when his kids graduated from high school, and I became the first of his grandkids to attend a prestigious university. But what I focused on in this second package was what I would pay as a price for going back. I knew that I would walk again, that all I had lost would be restored, but only temporarily. In my latter life, perhaps 10 to 15 years after the accident, I would suffer pain, extreme pain, and it would affect me the rest of my life. I chose to come back. He smiled as if he knew I would pick the harder path because of how I felt for my family and friends. There was a snap and a pop, and I was back in my body. It was filled with crackling electricity like sounds and feelings. I had no breath, no air, and this huge rock was choking off all air. I grabbed the small end of the tear near my nose with my one free left hand. My right arm was pinned under the rock and rolled the thing off me like it was made of paper. I took a painful breath of air and it was as if someone had plunged a sword into my right side. It was an agonizing breath, so painful I passed out and rolled down an embankment into a depression and yet as my body flopped over and over, rolling downhill, I was watching it from the top of my head both half in and half out of my ruined body. I landed in the bottom of this depression in a tangle of brush. I couldn't feel or move my legs. I was completely paralyzed from the waist down, and I could barely breathe. Every breath was shallow and stabbed me like a dagger driven deep into my right chest. But I was alive, just like the man in the glowing bright white robe told me I would be if I had not a clue how he did it. I could feel and hear the crackling of what felt and sounded like electricity flowing through me and I knew I had to get help and fast. But how does one walk out of a deep ravine surrounded with muddy slopes and soaring boulders of limestone, 15 plus feet high with a broken back and legs that not only don't work but I couldn't even feel. Just then, two boys crested the hill above me, one being a boy I knew named Johnny. I called to them weakly and Johnny dropped down to me. I told him to run and get my dad. I was very badly hurt. The other boy, who I didn't know, lived just up the hill above the ravine I was laying in. He ran to tell his dad to call for an ambulance. They didn't have paramedics in those days. Things moved fast after that. My dad, in a complete panic, finally found me as he ran aimlessly around the limestone field calling for me. My dad was the toughest, most fearless man I've ever known, but I saw panic in his eyes when he finally got to me. He wanted to pick me up and carry me out of there, and I told him not to because my back was broken. Soon the ambulance showed up at the top of the hill near the house of the kid I didn't know, and a small army of men had appeared from God knows where. I was strapped to a board that was very carefully slid under me. A small army of men passed me from hand to hand, up that steep muddy slope out of that ravine. Near the top, the line of men collapsed in the slippery mud and I started to fall back down the slope only to be caught and held by my dad who refused to let me fall. He rammed his feet into the mud, carved out footholds, and held on until the other men could reestablish their footholds and get me over the crest of the hill and into the ambulance where my mom was waiting. It was quite a ride to the hospital and on the way, I asked my mom to wash the blood and mud off my face, which surprised her because how could I know? She took a Kleenex out of her purse, wetted it with her saliva, and used it to wash my face. 
Ironically, my face was so numb I couldn't even feel her touching me. I was x-rayed, my clothes cut off, and the x-rays showed no internal damage, yet over the next 11 hours, I could feel the electricity from the white-robed man slowly bleed away. I knew I was dying again, despite the fact I was delirious from all the morphine they injected in me to hold down my pain. It was clear they had to operate because my blood pressure was falling and I heard them talking about perhaps a bleeding spleen. My personal doctor came to me and said they had to operate and asked if that would be okay with me. He was such a gentle, kind doctor. I said, as long as you promise me, I'll wake up. Promises in my family are sacred and you never break one unless the entire universe prevents you and even then you finish it later. He made the promise and that meant I'd survive the operation. They administered an anesthetic and told me to count back from 100. I did all the way to zero and the orderly said, do it again. So I did and since I reached zero again, I figured he'd just ask me to do it a third time. So I did it a third time. I found them wheeling me into an operation theater. They hoisted my body with several nurses and orderlies up onto two parallel steel rails with my spine settled in between the two rails. My body was draped with sheets, a hood put in front of my face and head. A huge spotlight hovered over me, and the room was really, really cold. I could hear someone say, we are losing him. Then his BP just went to zero. It meant my heart had stopped. I watched as the doctor, the chief surgeon, took a saw to me to quickly open me up. I still bear the ugly scar across my chest, where he literally ripped me open. I saw him say something, oh my dear God, after he got me opened. The internal damage was extensive. In fact, I should not have survived the initial impact of the rock. My heart was pushed out of its normal cavity up under my left armpit. My stomach and liver were shoved up into my right lung, which had collapsed around them. My diaphragm was missing. All my intestines, including my spleen, were shoved down into an area just above my pubic bone. There was literally nothing in my abdomen, and that was why nothing looked out of order in my x-rays. I heard the surgeon say he'd seen car wreck victims die with nothing near as severe as my injuries. He found it miraculous that I'd survived this long. He sawed me open and shoved his hand into my chest. I presume he went after my heart to massage it back to life. But just then, the oddest thing happened. I could hear people praying for me. Suddenly, I was there and I could see my doctor. He was kneeling on the floor in a waiting room with a bunch of chairs. Next to them were my mom, dad, and someone else behind them. They were all kneeling on the floor in that room praying for my life. The next thing I know I'm back in the operating room where the surgeon is working frantically to save my life. And as he works at massaging my heart, I found myself drifting away and the further I drifted, the darker the room got, and the further away his voice sounded. I found myself well above the operating theater, where I should have been on a floor above that room or outside looking on a roof, but I wasn't. Instead, I was floating in the entrance to a tunnel or vortex. I was sucked into it, and that was when my adventure really began. I ended up with a life review and was escorted around the other side by a being who was my guardian angel, whom I came to call Professor, but he had an incredible sense of humor. I say he with tongue-in-cheek because he was neither a he nor a she. I also saw what happened to true atheists. Apparently, I was open-minded enough that I didn't qualify. I got to see various heavens and asked to see what hell was like if there was one, 
and there was, but it was nothing like I expected. I even asked to meet Jesus and apologize only to meet a man that was nothing like I expected and was given interesting historical facts I was later able to verify. All of that is far too complex to include here, including numerous predictions of the future that have all come true except one, which I think is yet to happen. I would like to also add that I am no longer an atheist, even though I was an avowed one when my accident happened. I thank God daily for allowing me to live. the true power of the Almighty. Michael's experience was one of the most extraordinary that I have ever read. Michael had two NDE on the same day. Thank you for listening to his story. If you haven't already, please hit that like, subscribe, and bell icons so that you can be notified of new content. Thank you again and enjoy today's narration. That's from Heaven Awaits. I spent time with Jesus during my near-death experience. NDE. Heaven Awaits is the YouTube channel. Enjoy! It was Washington's birthday, and I had the day off from school. I could have stayed home, but I chose to go to work with my dad at the gas station that my parents owned. I worked there on weekends and after school helping my dad out. I pumped gas, washed windows, checked oil, and took care of customers, including taking their money and bringing them change. I also cleaned the bathrooms, filled the oil racks with cans of oil, filled the soda machine and collected the money, swept up and did other jobs for my dad, and was paid 50 cents an hour. That was a lot of money in 1966, considering comic books cost 12 cents, matinee movie tickets were $1, and so forth. I could make $4 a day working for my dad on weekends, and $1 plus a day after school. That's $13 to $15 a week. So I decided to go with my dad that day to work. Nearby the gas station were huge limestone boulders, some soaring as high as 30 plus feet. That day was just another freezing cold morning where the ground was covered in ice, which happened a lot in the 60s and 70s. So there wasn't a lot of business that day, and I did all the other jobs dad had for me. Being bored, I asked him if it would be okay if I took off for a while. I went out into those huge boulders, boulders I had climbed many times. To make a long story short, the water freezing, and thus expanding in the cracks of these boulders, had loosened a chunk of rock on this 15 to 20 foot high boulder. The chunk was perched on a ledge but seemed to adhere to the side of the greater rock. I had climbed over it many times, but this day it broke loose. The chunk was tear-shaped, narrow, tapered at the top, but thick, wide, and heavy at the bottom, and was about four foot high or so, as I recall. It broke off. I fell backwards off the gigantic boulder, and this stone fell right on top of me. In fact, I rode it to the ground. It probably weighed around 400 to 500 pounds. I don't recall much at that point, except hearing a voice far off in the distance screaming. Oh my god, I'm dead. I was oddly disconnected from it. The next thing I knew I was floating there, hovering in the air and feeling stunned. Not sure where I was, who I was, or even what I was. There was a feeling of amnesia. I tried to orient myself to my surroundings, get my bearings, and that meant carefully observing. Instantly my head was flooded with knowledge. As I stared at the boulder, I knew its chemical composition, could describe every curved and cavity and convex structure with mathematical formula that were both known to me and yet unknown.
I couldn't believe how clear my thoughts were. Then I became aware of a body. I used the following words because they express what I felt, but I didn't use these words. In fact, I wasn't thinking with words at all. I became aware of a biological unit that wasn't functioning. I literally viewed it in the way I might view a car that was all crunched up. I swept over this body and could see almost nothing between where the boulder was lying on it and the ground. There was literally less than an inch. The face was contorted and gray with the mouth open and mud and blood smeared from its nose across its forehead. It wasn't moving or breathing and the face looked familiar but I couldn't place where I'd seen it before. Then it hit me. It was my face. It looked different partly because it was dead and partly because I had always seen my face in a mirror. It looked different when outside of my body. It was then that all my memories flooded back into my head, who I had been, who my family and friends were, what I had done, and what I thought. Then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was dead, and yet here I was still alive and fully conscious. How could that be? In that instance, my atheism was wiped away, and now I didn't know what to expect. I panicked. I was dead. Dad was really going to get pissed at me for killing myself. Then the panic went out of the roof when I realized I was dead. Dad isn't going to get pissed at me. I'm dead. Oh my God, what is going to happen to me? Because I've rejected Jesus, I'm going to hell. Maybe I shouldn't have been so hasty in rejecting religion. Maybe I should have listened more. Then all that panic was pushed out of me and I could only use the analogy of being bone shivering cold and standing in front of a nice warm fire. All that shivering and cold slowly gets pushed out of you and all your muscles relax as the fire's warmth fills you. I felt this fire coming from behind me and I whirled around to see a man with black wavy hair and black beard, all short cropped and dark well tanned skin. His eyes were like diamonds sparkling under light and his robe was like a monk's robe except it was bright white and glowing. I could see it flowing around him with visible eddies and currents. This being smiled at me, and I was instantly filled with love. So much love I felt I would explode from it. I could not contain it. I've never felt so adored. This being communicated directly with me with thoughts. No words were ever used. He told me this was an accident, and I could go back if I wanted. I told him by my thoughts there was no way to make that body work. It was squashed flat. He told me that he could make it work again. Did I want to go back? I wanted to know my options. What would happen if I chose to go back, and what would happen if I didn't? No sooner did I think these thoughts, and then I was hit with a package of images. It showed in brief what would happen if I didn't go back. I saw my sister get into alcohol and drugs, and her life spin out of control, because I wasn't there. I saw my dad commit suicide, because shortly after my death my mom divorced him. I saw my paternal grandfather wither away and die, his heart broken over my death and my dad's suicide. There were twin blows that destroyed all the joy he had left in life. The effects went on and on. My mom was sad and heartbroken the rest of her life and so very lonely. And I saw a parade of faces of people I would never meet and whose lives I would have impacted and whose lives would have impacted mine. But now I would never know any of them and they would never know me. The man in the white robe had me with my sister. I've always loved my little sister, and for her alone. I would have chosen to come back, but seeing all that pain, it would cause everyone else. Mom, dad, grandparents, friends, cousins, aunts, and uncles. I had to go back. Then came a second package of images, 
Those of what would happen if I went back. I skipped over the obvious. Dad didn't commit suicide. My sister turned out okay. Mom ended up happy. My grandfather went on to beam with pride over his first grandson to attend a university. My grandfather was a legal immigrant from Italy who never made it past the fourth grade, and he treasured education beyond everything. He crowed like a proud rooster when his kids graduated from high school, and I became the first of his grandkids to attend a prestigious university. But what I focused on in this second package was what I would pay as a price for going back. I knew that I would walk again, that all I had lost would be restored, but only temporarily. In my latter life, perhaps 10 to 15 years after the accident, I would suffer pain, extreme pain, and it would affect me the rest of my life. I chose to come back. He smiled as if he knew I would pick the harder path because of how I felt for my family and friends. There was a snap and a pop, and I was back in my body. It was filled with crackling electricity like sounds and feelings. I had no breath, no air, and this huge rock was choking off all air. I grabbed the small end of the tear near my nose with my one free left hand. My right arm was pinned under the rock and rolled the thing off me like it was made of paper. I took a painful breath of air and it was as if someone had plunged a sword into my right side. It was an agonizing breath, so painful I passed out and rolled down an embankment into a depression and yet as my body flopped over and over, rolling downhill, I was watching it from the top of my head, both half in and half out of my ruined body. I landed in the bottom of this depression in a tangle of brush. I couldn't feel or move my legs. I was completely paralyzed from the waist down, and I could barely breathe. Every breath was shallow, and stabbed me like a dagger driven deep into my right chest. But I was alive, just like the man in the glowing bright white robe told me I would be if I had not a clue how he did it. I could feel and hear the crackling of what felt and sounded like electricity flowing through me, and I knew I had to get help and fast. But how does one walk out of a deep ravine surrounded with muddy slopes and soaring boulders of limestone, 15 plus feet high with a broken back and legs that not only don't work, but I couldn't even feel. Just then, two boys crested the hill above me, one being a boy I knew named Johnny. I called to them weakly, and Johnny dropped down to me. I told him to run and get my dad. I was very badly hurt. The other boy, who I didn't know, lived just up the hill above the ravine I was laying in. He ran to tell his dad to call for an ambulance. They didn't have paramedics in those days. Things moved fast after that. My dad, in a complete panic, finally found me as he ran aimlessly around the limestone field calling for me. My dad was the toughest, most fearless man I've ever known, but I saw panic in his eyes when he finally got to me. He wanted to pick me up and carry me out of there, and I told him not to because my back was broken. Soon the ambulance showed up at the top of the hill near the house of the kid I didn't know, and a small army of men had appeared from God knows where. I was strapped to a board that was very carefully slid under me. A small army of men passed me from hand to hand up that steep muddy slope out of that ravine. Near the top, the line of men collapsed in the slippery mud and I started to fall back down the slope only to be caught and held by my dad who refused to let me fall. He rammed his feet into the mud, carved out footholds, and held on until the other men could reestablish their footholds and get me over the crest of the hill and into the ambulance where my mom was waiting. It was quite a ride to the hospital and on the way, I asked my mom to wash the blood and mud off my face, which surprised her because how could I know? 
She took a Kleenex out of her purse, wetted it with her saliva, and used it to wash my face. Ironically, my face was so numb I couldn't even feel her touching me. I was x-rayed, my clothes cut off, and the x-rays showed no internal damage, yet over the next 11 hours, I could feel the electricity from the white-robed man slowly bleed away. I knew I was dying again, despite the fact I was delirious from all the morphine they injected in me to hold down my pain. It was clear they had to operate because my blood pressure was falling and I heard them talking about perhaps a bleeding spleen. My personal doctor came to me and said they had to operate and asked if that would be okay with me. He was such a gentle, kind doctor. I said, as long as you promise me, I'll wake up. Promises in my family are sacred and you never break one unless the entire universe prevents you and even then you finish it later. He made the promise and that meant I'd survive the operation. They administered an anesthetic and told me to count back from 100. I did all the way to zero and the orderly said, do it again. So I did and since I reached zero again, I figured he'd just ask me to do it a third time. So I did it a third time. I found them wheeling me into an operation theater. They hoisted my body with several nurses and orderlies up onto two parallel steel rails with my spine settled in between the two rails. My body was draped with sheets, a hood put in front of my face and head. A huge spotlight hovered over me, and the room was really, really cold. I could hear someone say, we are losing him. Then his BP just went to zero. It meant my heart had stopped. I watched as the doctor, the chief surgeon, took a saw to me to quickly open me up. I still bear the ugly scar across my chest, where he literally ripped me open. I saw him say something, Oh my dear God, after he got me opened, the internal damage was extensive. In fact, I should not have survived the initial impact of the rock. My heart was pushed out of its normal cavity up under my left armpit. My stomach and liver were shoved up into my right lung, which had collapsed around them. My diaphragm was missing. All my intestines, including my spleen, were shoved down into an area just above my pubic bone. There was literally nothing in my abdomen and that was why nothing looked out of order in my x-rays. I heard the surgeon say he'd seen car wreck victims die with nothing near as severe as my injuries. He found it miraculous that I'd survived this long. He sawed me open and shoved his hand into my chest. I presume he went after my heart to massage it back to life, but just then, the oddest thing happened. I could hear people praying for me. Suddenly, I was there and I could see my doctor. He was kneeling on the floor in a waiting room with a bunch of chairs. Next to them were my mom, dad, and someone else behind them. They were all kneeling on the floor in that room praying for my life. The next thing I know I'm back in the operating room where the surgeon is working frantically to save my life. And as he works at massaging my heart, I found myself drifting away. And the further I drifted, the darker the room got and the further away his voice sounded. I found myself well above the operating theater where I should have been on a floor above that room or outside looking on a roof, but I wasn't. Instead, I was floating in the entrance to a tunnel or vortex. I was sucked into it and that was when my adventure really began. I ended up with a life review and was escorted around the other side by a being who was my guardian angel, whom I came to call Professor, but he had an incredible sense of humor. I say he with tongue-in-cheek because he was neither a he nor a she. I also saw what happened to true atheists. Apparently, I was open-minded enough that I didn't qualify.
I got to see various heavens, and asked to see what hell was like if there was one, and there was, but it was nothing like I expected. I even asked to meet Jesus, and apologized only to meet a man that was nothing like I expected, and was given interesting historical facts I was later able to verify. All of that is far too complex to include here, including numerous predictions of the future that have all come true except one, which I think is yet to happen. I would like to also add that I am no longer an atheist, even though I was an avowed one when my accident happened. I thank God daily for allowing me to live. shoulders as you wrestled with the question, what is the reasonable decision? As you battle to understand God's purpose for your life, the pressure might paralyze you, and you might even worry that you'll mess it up or miss out on what he's calling you to do. Thank you. 